Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Right, now it is time to remember, SCNZ will be bringing you live commentary of today's White Ferns game with coverage starting at 10.25 this morning. Be sure to tune in to hear all your thoughts and analysis from Daniel McCarty, Garth Galloway, Maya Lewis, and the one and only Emily Drum. And, well, Kempi's going to intro our next guest, the one and only Emily Drum. Yeah, cheers, Izzy. It's time for a Monday morning McCafe coffee catch-up. As the White Ferns continue on their World Cup journey, it's fair to say the opening game of the tournament couldn't have been any more tense. Right here, I win today against Bangladesh. Four <laughs> runs needed. Dotton bowling over the wicket and beating the outside edge of the bat. They'll try to take a bye. No, there's a mix-up. Got to get back. There's got to be a run out. It's all over. Fran Jonas has run out at the non-striker's end, is she? The West Indies are celebrating. They're sprinting away. Yeah, win today against Bangladesh is now crucial to kickstart the tournament ahead of some serious tests. And Emily Dronoff... Drama, former captain of the White Firms and part of the Sins commentary team of the World Cup. Morning, Emily is with us. Good morning, fellas. How's it going, Emily? How what did you think of the, that first game you know, coming down to New Zealand, oh. the West Indies, and, and uh, how the girls feel after that loss? Well, you know, after I just heard that last snippet of the game, I thought <laughs> I'd moved on, but um, it's still mm. fresh in the minds for me. But, but I'm a spectator and... and uh, a fan and a former player, you, you remember those moments and you, you uh, think during the World Cup, those, those big moments that you've got to really nail. And unfortunately, with all the hard work that went into that game, just couldn't quite do it. And it's a shame, but they've got to move on quickly. You can't dwell and you can't mope and, and uh, feel sorry for yourself. You've just got to get back to the next game and, and today's that, which is quite nice actually. It comes around fast enough so these girls will have the opportunity to right the wrongs, which is nice. Yeah, Emily, thank you so much for joining us. It's Izzy here on the show. You spoke about moments, and it didn't start that, that well, in the, particularly in our batting side, when um, Susie Bates was run out with, wow, this unfortunate uh, mishap there with uh, a tip off the opening bowler back into her wickets. But today, we've got to focus, we've got to look forward, and they've got an opportunity today against Bangladesh. Can we expect any changes within the side? Would you expect them to go in with two spinners again, or maybe add another seamer? Yeah, there will be changes, I think. Um, gut feeling tells me they'll uh, possibly swap out a, a spinner. Um, just because I think they need to keep the side fresh. Um, I think some people will be disappointed with their performance on Friday and will feel like they didn't put their best efforts forward. That, that they probably came into the tournament with. I mean, we played really well against India. A couple of good warm-ups. 
but you just you know the big games you've got to stand up and be counted and you know, it was a shame for Fran Jonas he's a young girl um, we've all played that mm. first game for New Zealand and, and been on the big stage but oh, yeah. we've got to make sure that the whole 15 are ready to play in the squad and, and tournaments are squad tournaments so hopefully there will be changes keeps the girls on their toes mm. as well so no one can rest on their laurels but it never starts well when you run out um, without you know, really having much of a say in the game so we can't afford to lose I call them the fab four you know, Susie Bates Sophie Devine, Amy Satisfate, and mm. Mary Kerr, the Fab Four. They have done it all season yeah. so far, domestically and internationally, and we really need those girls to stand up again today. You're so, you're so right there, Emily. Having played in the World Cup, is he the same as that? It is a, you know, look at what Beaver did when he had to come in and kick that goal to, to win a World Cup. It's a, it's a whole squad effort. Well, there's so much passion in the, in the first couple of games. What... What have the um, the Kiwi girls been talking about after that loss? About how how are they going to match, I guess, the enthusiasm of the other teams so far in the tournament? I think they've got to not panic. Being the first thing, um, don't get carried mm. away. It's only one game. I've already seen with some of the games so far that you've got teams who are who are pushing so hard for wins. India struggled a bit yesterday. South Africa struggled on Saturday. So there's no real easy mm. beats, and this is what's going to happen. I actually think. Positions three and four to get the semis are going to come down to run rate. So even though we were only second game into the tournament, the need to save runs and score runs for that net run rate is going to come into play. So these girls will be wanting to really put a big big effort in because they know that they probably should have won on Friday. They know that they're better than that. They know that they need need to do it at home, especially in this game, to get their campaign back on track. Well, Emily, you're calling the, the action and you're live. You're right there and there. Can can you give us a little lead in tactics-wise? There's been a lot of chat over the last couple of years. When you're playing at these tournaments, conditions are hugely important. How would you? How do you feel the, the, the White Ferns today need to approach this, this game tactically? Would we bowl again first to put the pressure on them? Or do you see us getting out there, putting on a solid innings, batting first and, and putting the pressure back on Bangladesh? Well, I think um, I'm in two minds about that because I haven't seen the pitch down in Dunners, so I'm uh, not yep. sure what what to expect, expect, whether it's a fresh pitch or, or used pitch. So that will have a say mm. as to what they decide to do. I was a little bit surprised that we chose to bowl first the other day. It was a really nice batting track, uh, first pitch or first use of that pitch before it got used again. And um, the Western News certainly made batting look very easy against us. But the, the Bangladeshis are quite short, so I'd imagine that we're going to bowl aggressively and we'll set, hopefully, the traps in terms of uh, trying to get them out hooking and, and fending. So there won't be that many balls to drive as far as getting on the front foot, I would imagine. However, the, the goal is to win and win as well as we can. So whatever method we choose is, is up to Sophie and Bob Carter to decide what they want to do, but... I really just want to see a blooming good win. That's what I want to see. And just to keep these girls' confidence <laughs> back up. I mean, there's no mucking about. You just need to win and win well. And nah. whatever method they choose, they just have to nail it. That's really what it comes down to for me. Yeah, for sure. I totally, totally agree. When you're playing on these World Cups, particularly at home, there's so much pressure. But I think they've got the team. They definitely have. I don't think it. I know they have. For for you, have you? how have you been... 
you've probably answered this question so many times, but uh, I've been amazed and, and I'm very, very impressed with how this uh, environment, this this team have have carried themselves over, particularly over the last year and a half. They've been making sh- great strides and drank great gains in the right direction. For you, what have you noticed the biggest difference in the, the White Ferns and how they've approached this last uh, year and a half? Yeah, it's been a long run up into this World Cup and, and delaying it by a year has probably helped us more than anything because we weren't really that ready a year ago, in my opinion. These girls were learning. We are playing too much T20 cricket, for one. These girls are learning yeah. how to bat in 50-over cricket. It is actually very different. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's as simple as 100-metre race versus 1,500 metres. You've got to learn tactics. You've got to learn how to bat for time. You've got to learn how to manipulate the field as a batsman. It's a batsman's game, and I talk about it from a batsman's point of view because if you can't put a score on the board, you're not going to win. And already we've seen some big scores from Aussie and England. We've spent these batter beautifully, and, and your top four has to get 100. That or thereabouts, you've got to have 100-plus partnerships. And if you can't do that, then you're not going to win that many games. And where we've come to from probably, as you say, 18 months ago to, to now... We've come into a form at just the right time. So they can't let Friday disturb their mindset. They just need to get back on and do what they've been doing really well over the last six six weeks and, and beyond. Uh, that's, so we're talking about our white ferns and we want them to win every single game now and win the whole competition. But there's been one match and I want your predictions. What's your take from the first round of the World Cup? Have you been impressed and who has impressed you? Yeah, the, the big guns have stood up. Um, as much as I, I don't like to say the Friday was an upset, it probably tipped the, the odds a bit um, more than what I would have liked. But Aussie looked very strong. Yeah. England looked good, chasing 300-odd. Mm. Um, South Africa looked a little bit jittery, as did India. Yeah. They struggled from 112 for six yesterday to get a good score of 245. So first-round nerves, you could say. But um, Aussie are very, very good any of their top six are going to score 100 any given day. So you got to catch them on an off day to beat those guys. But look, it's shaping to be a very good tournament and the quality is, is pretty good. There's no easy beats. Probably four years ago, mm. you could say maybe six, seven and eight were fairly certain wins on the board, but not anymore. Yeah. So every day that these girls put into their, their preparation, they need to upskill about the opposition. That will give them the advantage, I believe. Nice, nice. We're, we're talking to SENZ commentary team Emily Drum and former White Fern Emily Drum. Um, Emily, what are you doing? Are you out there exercising? Yeah, does it sound like it? I'm actually getting up the hill. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm actually struggling. I've got. To, I wasn't going to say. I wasn't going to say anything. Does it sound like I'm really puffing? Sorry yeah, about you, that. You got a little bit of no, a puff a on. Bit. I know, sorry. My, my bad, but um, I'm trying to get myself up the hill and down before the day begins. Oh, no. Awesome, awesome. Unless you're out there doing it, it makes us lazy buggers need to get out after work and uh, <laughs> get out on those hills. I'm going to be sitting down no. for a few hours. <laughs> yeah. no, it's all How good. are you enjoying the call with, with, with the team? Garth Galloway and, and Dan McCarty, are you enjoying it? Yeah, it's great. Love it, love it. I can't, can't rave more highly about radio cricket. It's what I grew up with, you know, the long days back when you were a kid listening to um, the radio up at the beach, and it was just brilliant. Just love it, and it just 
paints the picture that you want to hear. Sometimes TV is a little bit... Mm. I don't actually listen without the sound on the TV most of the time. I just can't... Um, <laughs> I can't really engage in it all the time because the kids are running around the background and it's just nice to be able to look up and look back. But when you've got the radio in the background, you can kind of allow yourself to really be at the ground, live the moment. And because I'm such a cricket geek, it's a bit of a tragic set of circumstances. I just can't help but think I'm out in the middle or watching that or coaching or something like that. So... For me, I just really enjoy just listening to it and the imagery that I get from it. Yeah, you're spot on. You're right in the action. And uh, the best thing I love about radio is you can just get up, put a T-shirt on. You don't have to put your suit on. Don't have to put your face on. You just get up, get into your work. All you need is a good, solid voice, and, and you need to know what you're talking about. Anyway, we keep trying to wing our way through this show. We'll just keep trying. Thank you so <laughs> well, much, <then>. Emily Drum. <laughs> Former captain Emily Drum, and she is part of the SCNZ, SCNZ commentary team today uh, with Dan McCarty, Garth Galloway, and Maya Lewis. We appreciate your time on Baz and Izzy for breakfast. Get up the white ferns. We'll get you on for a little post-match review uh, maybe in the next couple of days. Cool. Thanks, fellas. There we go. That was uh, Emily Drum, former captain. She is part of the SCNZ team bringing you live commentary today starting at 10.25 and post the show. There you go. She's um she's spot on. She's right on the money. And and we spoke to uh, Craig Cummings uh, a couple of months ago, and he took a, he spoke about the Fab Four: Amelia uh, Kerr, Sophie Devine, Susie Bates, uh, Amy Sathwaite, and then you saw Katie Martin, particularly the other day. She was um, she was great with the bat as well. We need one of them to step up. Every single match, otherwise she's going to be a tough, tough day at the office. We're lucky with Sophie Devine; she got 108 in that last match. Melia Kerr, she's been very, very good in the Indian series. She got a ton, a uh, handful of wickets. So bat and ball, she's she's very good. And then Susie Bates, man, that was unlucky. I don't know if you saw that, but you see how she got out in that first match, Kempi? No, I, did, I I actually haven't seen the um, the the batting of the New Zealand side. I was watching the uh, the way that the West Indies sort of took their took their wickets and that bowl yeah. for the West Indies it was pretty aesthetic when she was doing that so I, you know for me when Emily was talking about it's like most tournaments isn't it isn't it as you know like you you need your big big guns to fire and that's what she's saying and then in a tournament situation you need to play out the whole tournament she's yeah. saying take your time you know make sure you stay and in, in, increase get Get the get the runs on the board and drag these games out, and they're a lot different than just these one-off test matches or these test series. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a decent chance of winning a tournament if you play in the tournament, and a lot of people don't um, don't understand that. In rugby league, you know, like the league boys go really well on a tournament because they get better as the as the weeks go on, playing alongside each other. Yeah. yeah. And and if and if the the ferns can do this, then they've got a they've got a decent chance of winning it. You know, the Australians and the English are mm. always going to be the two favourites. Um, but you yeah. can't take away our home ground advantage. I think if we can knuckle down and just listen to what Emily's got to say, play you know, our top four batting well and play with, within the tournament and everyone plays a part in the squad, then you know, we're a chance. Mm, it's, it's a funny one, eh, mate? Like when you're planning these, these must-win tournaments, do you want to uh, you know, find your squad, find your number one team? Do you want to give them time to build continuity, to build confidence? Or today, um, you know, Emily was saying that they might ring in a few changes. And it's quite a, it's it's one that could work. Or it's one that could go against you. You need you need to give your top side a bit of time in the middle, like you spoke about, a bit of confidence, a bit of time to build those connections, that team morale, um, because 
as soon you know the next couple of days we're into must win territory even if we're not there at the moment after losing our first one so um, yeah, be interesting what they do selections wise. Bob Carter, he is the coach. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. Sophie Devine and and the, and the leaders, Susie Bates. And I just have to apologise to Emily um, for bringing her up about her breathing. <laughs> I just thought, man, she must be doing some fitness. Good on her. What a champion. Because honestly, if I was running up hills, I wouldn't be able to speak. I wouldn't be able to speak. I ran one lap last week with um, with Aaron Webb. He was running. He ran 102 kilometres around the park. I ran one lap, and he was talking to me halfway around. I couldn't even breathe. So, Emily Drum, thank you so much for holding it together and coming on the show and putting us to shame. Get up the White Ferns. Like I said, live here on SENZ 1025. You'll get all the action with Stan McCarty, Garth Galloway, uh, Maya Lewis, and Emily Drum. Don't take this as any sort of um, gospel. And this is actually a bit tongue-in-cheek. So before I get crucified for saying this, all I'm saying is I thought if I smoke 100 cigarettes a day, I could kill COVID. But it didn't really work. I ended up on a ventilator, so it wasn't um, <laughs> it wasn't ideal. Oh, that is, that's the conversation I was uh, talking about earlier on in the show about Warney smoking 100 darts to think he could kill COVID. Oh, Warney. One of the greatest, greatest chats I've ever had and witnessed on the... Wow. Look, honestly, when I heard we were, we were interviewing Shane Warne, I was wow, amazed. Just an absolute legend. And uh, just hearing that, Kempe, you, you, you get a bit of an understanding of what kind of lifestyle Warney lived. Oh, mate, you get on all right with my old lady. <laughs> she, go, she goes through 100 <laughs> a day as well. They'd have a great conversation. Oh, <laughs> oh man. He's, yeah, it was a very, very fascinating uh, interview. We've got another little clip from our chat with the great Shane Warne. So we saw Hardy the other day, John Hart. We saw him in Auckland, and Izzy and I said, oh, looking forward to the New Zealand Open this year. And he said, I'm not sure if you're going to get the invite yet. So, <laughs> so we're waiting. We're hoping we're hoping that that you, Warney, as a star power, might be able to just put in a good word for us, if that's possible, mate. Well, Baz, if you're not playing, I'm not playing, mate. I haven't got an invitation either, so maybe we could both try and uh, brown nose up the right people and try and get the invite. <laughs> well, if they're not inviting Warney, then the tournament's going to fail. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's a wonderful tournament to play in. And any, oh, look, I don't think there's any other sport in the world where you can play with some of these pros and um, watch the way they play. Like I play in the Dunhill up here in Scotland as well, and you're playing with Ryan Fox, who's um, become a great mate over the last five or so years. We've been playing together up at the Dunhill. And just to watch these guys play in competition, playing for five million euro, and we're next to them hacking it up the fairway. I mean, it's <laughs> there's no there's no other sport in the in the world where you can actually watch these or compete with these guys in proper competition. You couldn't say, look, come out to the MCG and uh, come and come and face uh, Shell Bakhtar, just just rolling his arm over at ninety five mile an hour, and just have a hit, will you? You know, like you're just in front of ninety thousand, you just can't do it. So. To have that privilege and that I'm very grateful for the New Zealand Open, um, the, the Dunhill Links to have those invitations and play some golf and hack it around. It's good fun. Yeah, some good messages there from Warney, and that was actually where I, I heard the news about Shane Warne's passing was with his great mate, and uh, he spoke about it five years. He's played at the Dunhill Links Invitational over in the UK with Ryan Fox and... Uh, that was where I heard the news, and just just hearing Warney chat there, and, and just being so honest and open about every single thing, he never shied away, was was honest with his opinion, and uh, 
Just an absolute champion that we're going to miss. And we've got a few text messages coming on the text lines. Something Warney said was that he wanted to be the same person he was before his fame. He was. All his mates and colleagues say he was so loyal. Hard to take this one. That is rest in peace, the king. From Richie. I'm sure there's uh, there's many more messages around there. And I've, I just want to ask you, um, Kempi, uh, about Warney. And when you think of Warney, what is the one thing that springs to mind? There's many moments I just spoke about, but there's obviously many hairdos he's had over his time. I mean, what's the first thing that springs to your mind when the name Shane Warne comes up? Oh, memory, a moment, mate. Something. The, what really comes to my, my mind is that he is—he would be the bloke that I would have loved to um, play alongside because he—he didn't just play um, good cricket; he partied hard. And he just did what, <laughs> and he just did what he wanted to do. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things. I think Shane Shane Warne wanted to be remembered for for the bloke that he was before he was a cricketer. Mm. You know, and and um, there's there's many blokes as he as you know in both rugby league, rugby union, any sport where you've got that one bloke that's just the life of the life of the, the team. And Shane Warne yeah. was that bloke. You know, I didn't know Shane Warne. Um, and just watching his career and how he developed into a, I thought a real decent cricket commentator. Um, he never ever shirked uh, who he was. He always he always shot from the hip, and I I really like that, yeah. admire that in people. Um, but it, like I said, like I said first thing this morning, you can really tell the caliber of a person when other people are talking about you. And he's you know across the board getting getting some pretty decent comments. So um, I'm pretty sure that you know not only on the cricket pitch but off it, he's he's got some. Everyone who's been with him has got some stories to tell. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure Louis will be um, on the same page with me here. Even Joe and Kez maybe. Um, if they remember the PS1 Shane Warne cricket oh. uh, playing that as a young yes. bloke, just one of yes. the great games. The greatest games, Shane Warne cricket, John Alomar rugby, and the cheats, John Alomar rugby, Shane Warne cricket. The probably the best games bought out on PlayStation sport games, particularly. Yes, two of them. What's the other one? <laughs> Colin McRae rugby. Oh wait, well Chuck. Yeah, Colin McRae, Crash Bandicoot. But it, but Shane Warne cricket, Chuck in the hack, Superman. We smash every ball for six, and then the beach ball mode. Remember when you, that cricket ball is the size of a beach ball? Put all those hacks in, mate. You, 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 you're opening the bat with Shane Warne, and you're smashing 300. That's how good he was anyway. But that's my uh, greatest memories is uh, staying up all night with my brothers and uh, playing the PlayStation until mum got up for work at 6 a.m. and booted our bums and told us to get to bed. <laughs> Those are my good memories of Shane Moore. Look, we're going to celebrate his life throughout the morning, but keep your messages coming through on the text machine, double eight double three, and we'll get those through. Your greatest memories, or what's one thing that springs to mind when Shane Warne comes to the forefront of your memory? Um, that is uh, our little conversation. It's talking about Shane Warne. It's time to celebrate the life of the king, the man many labelled as larger than life. It can't be described as anything less than a shock. Last week, the falling of Rod Marsh was felt by many across Australia and New Zealand, but no one would have expected uh, what was to follow. The passing of the great Shane Warne, Warney, age 52, is still hard to believe. The tributes have flowed thick and fast from former teammates and competitors from all around the world. Former Black Cap Craig McMillan is with us on the line now to share his thoughts and memories and celebrate the life of the great man, the King, Shane Warne. Morning, Mecca. Morning, Izzy. 
how are you, bud? Um, I, I guess you're a bit like all of us and just still in, in utter shock with what's happened over the weekend. Not only Rod Marsh, um, you know, the first was Rod Marsh, and we know what the impact he had on world cricket, and now Shane Warne. Um, how are you, mate? Yeah, it's been a tough weekend, actually, is it? And still getting used to the news, that, that terrible news that we all found out on Saturday, which you just don't expect, do you? Um, Warney's one of those larger-than-life characters, and the age of 52 is far too young. So, um, yeah, it's it's slowly sinking in, but um, very, very sad. Yeah. Look, we've been reflecting throughout the morning, and, and this is from a fan's point of, point of view, um, just the impact he was you know, able to have on people's lives and you know, the superstar stardom effect that he was able to instill in, in cricket fans around the world. And I was a fan growing up. I always used to, I was, used to bowl right arm medium fast. And then when every now often I'd go out to the backyard and pretend I was Shane Warne. Tell us about your, your memories and, and your kind of moments that you've had uh, with the great king. And when, when Shane Warne comes to your mind, what, what's the first thing that pops up? Um, just the ultimate um, showman who, who loved being the centre of attention and loved being in the middle of a cricket mm. ground showing off his skills in front of 40, 50, 60,000, 90,000 at the MCG was probably his, his favourite place to be. Um, and just mm. like you, as I was a fan to begin with and then very quickly found myself being on the same <laughs> ground and actually facing him, which was a bit surreal, to be honest. Um, yeah. But he was just... He was just the best, you know, batting against him. I played my first test against Australia at Brisbane and um, and in the bowling attack, Australia had SK Warne and, and Glenn McGrath, two of the greats. And, and so oh. all of a sudden you've been watching them on TV, um, you know, loving the way that they play, listening to Channel 9, talk them up, and then all of a sudden you've got the fern on, <laughs> your, on your chest and, and you're playing against them in the middle. So that that's... I look back on that now, and that was pretty cool. And I consider myself really lucky that I played in an era where we had some of the greatest bowlers, some of the greatest players of all time, and we were able to go up and at times match those guys. But more often than not, they um, they certainly came out on top. Hey, Mac, it's Kempi, mate. The, the Warren era and all of the stunning players that played in that era, you know, especially in that Australian team, always... Um, when I was watching, sort of struck me as there's quite a bit of banter that it looked like going out there. What was Warney like in the banter stakes? Morning, Kempi. Yeah, he was up there. Um, it was fair to say that that Aussie <laughs> side was so good and, and dominated that they, they gave out plenty of lip as they went along. Um, and, and it was difficult at times to come back. But we always tried to give a little bit back. Um, generally, you had Warney bowling. That, Mac it, has got lip. That was a tough thing. Oh yeah, look, I didn't mind having the odd word, but my 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 luck was pretty poor compared to some of the others. But um, you have to say that they had plenty of other guys that were sort of doing Warney's work because he was um, had the ball on a string and was making life pretty tough to, for you to score a run at the other end, and and they were just chipping away. You knew that your number was up at some stage. That was probably the worst thing about facing them is that you knew that he was not far away from getting you out. You knew that one of his balls had your name on it, and it was just. Yeah. How long does it take? What am I going to try and do to turn this around? So I tried to attack him at times. Um, very rarely did it come off, um, but it was always <laughs> an battle. And I think Warney appreciated that. Like he was, you know, I think he was, you know, he was an aggressive leg spin bowler and um, he wasn't a passive leg spinner or he, he 
got into the game was aggressive with the way he went about trying to get you out. And um, and so it always made it entertaining. There was always something happening whenever he had the ball in hand. Gilly spoke about it. That was probably his greatest uh, moment in his career was wicket-keeping against, um, against uh, Shane Warne's bowling and, and just the, mm. the art that he was able to do. Mate, could you... Could you pick it? Can you can you remember those moments when you've had to face him? Could you pick the flipper? Could you pick the one that's going three meters down the leg stump and popping back to the to the off stump? Could you? Was he just that much of a wizard? Yeah, he was a wizard. Um, the flipper, because we all grew up watching him bowl the flipper to all those pommy batters, um, South Africa as well. Yeah. None of them could pick it. Some of the West Indians as well. I remember Richie Richardson <laughs> going back to a flipper just rocked into middle stump. So we all grew up seeing the flipper. Um, yeah, it was hard to pick. It wasn't. It was the one that you're always looking out for, to be honest. Um, he never really turned his wrong end because he had some issues with his shoulder. So the wrong end wasn't a big turner, but it was his leg spinner that, mm. you know, he could slow up. He could um, get to bounce. Um, he would mix his pace up beautifully. He just had it on a string. And very quickly, I remember him, um, because I did get to know him um, off the field as well, which I feel very privileged to have done over the years we played a lot against one another and then in 2005 he rang me up during the winter and he was captain of Hampshire over in England playing county cricket he said we need a player we need a pro for a little while do you want to come over and play and of course whenever SK Warren rings you up in the middle of a New Zealand winter and says do you want to come and play for us you jump at it so um, I was lucky enough to play in the same side as him um, for a period of time in England, and that experience was something that um, I just loved. It was just amazing. He would have been one of the greatest captains I reckon world cricket seen because his knack, his strength always was that he made um, those around him feel like they were better than what they were. So we had a pretty good team, but whenever you're on the field with Shane Warne, all of a sudden it's like you went to another level. And so watching that influence amongst the team, and we won games that we had no right to win, but because Shane Warne was our captain and he had belief in the whole team, we actually managed to pull off some pretty remarkable wins. So that was pretty special, spending time with him in England and just seeing him go about his work. That's that's a that's a great story. That's a great story to hear that he, he, was, he could actually pull that off as... Um, I mean, Gary Kimball said that about Olsen Filippano when he hopped on the bus in the old Auckland days and they're travelling down to Huntley to play Waikato when he said, oh, the first person he looked yep. for was Olsen Filippano and said, yep, Olsen's on the bus, we'll win today. Um, that type of <laughs> that, that type of bloke warning was. You, mu- you must also, Maka, have some stories then if you went and played with them in England about the old, what do they call it, the cock and bull, a couple of pubs up there in, in Hampshire, surely. What was it like lo- <laughs> hanging out with them? Uh, it was pretty cool, Kempe. Look, he was a very generous guy, and one of, one of the things that probably, one of the things that probably hasn't been spoken enough about him is just how much work he did for charity and stuff off the field, and and the amount of time he gave to other people, you know, who just wanted a little piece of him. Um, and and we saw that. Um, it never got reported because they generally weren't the stories that were selling papers for um, <laughs> for, for um, the news people, but. Um, you know, yeah. we had a lot of fun. That was the thing. He was a great storyteller. Um, and he, you know, it was only 52 years old, but he crammed a lot into those 52 years, let me tell you that. I'll tell you one thing. Um, <laughs> we were touring, New Zealand were touring Aussie, and um, we were playing Aussie in some one days, and uh, got a call from him. This is early 2000s. And he said, oh, I'm having a poker night, because he really got into his poker. And um, oh, yeah. he loved poker, so he was just getting into it. And it was early 2000s. He said, oh, 
you and Dan come over to my house. I've got a poker night going on. Um, we were supposed to be playing a one-day international like two days later. It's like, shit, yeah, we're in. We're in. So me and Vittori, so we got this car. We turned up to Warney's house. It was the best night ever. Like, he had about eight of us there. He had Joe Hesham, who was... Um, won the World Series of Poker in 2005. Yeah, yeah. So Joe Hesham was, he was basically teaching Warney how to play poker and don't. <laughs> so just the best night. Storytelling, just turn up at his place. He's got 23, which is his number he wore on the back of his shirt, 23 tiled into his pool, this big flash pool, and it's got 23 tiled oh. in the middle of it. It was just the most amazing <laughs> night. You think back now, you think, how cool was that? We got rung up, he invited us over, and we just played poker till like two in the morning. Um, we had training early the next morning. I'm sure me and Dan were a little bit dusty, but it's one of those nights you just look back on. So that, that was pretty cool, playing poker with Shane Warne. Oh, yeah, awesome, awesome. I'm sure there was a little bit more detail that can come from that. I'll, let, I'll, I'll get a little lead in on Wednesday. We might have to add to that story come Wednesday on the golf course. Hey, Mecca, what, what was he like on the golf course, mate? I'm sure, sure you might have shared the fairways with him or... Uh, you know, a bit of a golfer too as well. Eh? He loved the game of golf. Did he? What is he? Yeah, he loved golf. It was came over here a number of times, didn't he, to Queenstown and played in the New Zealand mm. Open um, and played up in uh, Scotland, didn't he, at the Dunhill Links at St Andrews? Yeah, he was he was a golf nuffy, really, wasn't he? Um, he he was he was giddy too, wasn't he? Wasn't he off about eight or nine or something like that and, and got down yeah. at times? But he just he just it was his, I think one of those things that relaxed him actually, where he could have a bit of fun. He always had a fag in the mouth, didn't he? You know, and that's the thing about Warney. Um, what you saw is what you got. There was no ears or graces. It was He was the same as, you know, when he grew up. He didn't change with all the fame and all the adulation that came his way. He was the same man all the way through. Yep, had his faults and obviously some controversies that um, got singled out over the years. But to those that knew him and were mates with him, he was very generous and very loyal. So um, he was a great guy. Mate, can you, can you just quickly before we let you go, the magnitude of what he was able to achieve in the game of cricket, and particularly in the test matches, 708 wickets he took, and we tie Malithran as only one ahead of him, so two of the great spinners, but can you just explain how difficult that is to achieve, and do you feel like there'll be anyone that'll come close to those two, particularly Shane Warne, 708? Uh, good question, is um, The thing for me about Shane Warne that that marks his greatness is the impact he had on the game of cricket. And when he mm. came in to test cricket in the early 90s, spin bowling was dying. It was an art form that was basically on the way out. And all of a sudden, yep. he made it cool. He made it fun to do again. Um, and all of a sudden, you had kids, instead of wanting to be fast bowlers and run and bowl as quick as they could, they wanted to be leg spinners. And, and leg spinning, is those that play cricket, is the hardest thing to to do it's the hardest art it is really difficult um so he made it he made it cool he made it fun he made it look easy at times when it's really not it's difficult um and all of a sudden he changed the persona of cricket because i think cricket was always perhaps in those early years seen as a bit boring um a bit stale played by certain guys and all of a sudden warney brought a bit of a fizz a bit of a um, razzmatazz to the game and I think that just continued yeah. on through and he really started that didn't he he had the blonde tips in the hair and giving guys a send off you know he just brought a bit of fun a bit of yeah. excitement to the game so I reckon that's his greatness and, and there's no doubt that he's had perhaps one of the greatest impacts on the game that anyone in the world has 
Yeah, no, we appreciate it, mate. You're spot on. You uh, just changed the game. You make people enjoy it, not for what he was doing on the field, but particularly off it, mate. He's a character, larger than life, and uh, I was lucky enough to meet yep. him once, mate. Really appreciate your time on the show, reflecting on the great Shane Warne. Shane, Keith, Warne, and uh, appreciate your time, Mecca. Thanks very much, bud. My, my pleasure. Thanks, boys. Cheers. Morning, you're listening to Baz and Izzy for breakfast on SCNZ. We're 15 minutes away from 9. And, well, we're going to have a wee catch-up with Louis Herman Watt, who was at the Caracas Sales. How are you, Louis? What's happening, brother? Izzy, I'm doing so well. Kempi, first morning for you, mate. You'll be absolutely uh, probably fired up. Used to doing those big four-hour shifts in summer, mate. Three hours, just just too good. Just, Flying through, mate. Kind of, Flying through. Yeah, that, that's right. Hey, okay, a couple of important things. Tiako is New Zealand's number one champion stable. They will have shares available all throughout the day as soon as they start buying. Eight-time Karakamillion winners. We remember what happened with Dynastic earlier this year, so... They love to try and buy those up and running two-year-olds. Now, Izzy, when I left you last time, you said, give me a lot number. You were quite demanding, actually. Mm. Um, mm. So what I, what, I did, what I did is I went and banged on the managing director's door here, Andy Seabrook. I said, Andy, Baz might be in Australia, but Izzy needs the mail. He's asked for, you, he's asked for the mail. I need to come back with something. You're going to have to give me something. And he told me practically to piss off and do my own work. So <laughs> I stuck my book into the book, and I, I stuck my nose, my big beak, into the book, and I've come up with a few numbers for you, all right? And we're going to go in mm, numerical yep. order, order. And yep. Yep. Look, lot, lot, not you know. The, one of the nuances about these sales is it's hard to be a sale topper or the kind of big bang sale. If you, geez, there's a famous man, Steve Davis. God, he's you he can hear him warming up his la- oh, his vocal cords. All right, um, well, lot, give lot, it to us, sell us it. Okay, lot give us your 10. auctioneer one voice. Lot number ten. Here's one for you. I should be getting Steve to read this out. Really, ten and eleven. Oh, there he goes. Ten and eleven. See, I'm not too far off yet. Lot number ten. Savaville Colt out of the Achiever, who won three times herself and is very well related. Izzy, you're going to love this. This dam, this mare, she's related and she's bred by the Dennis brothers. So she's related to the chosen one and she is a full sister to the dam of the perfect pink. So you know that the family can gallop. You know the family can gallop. And you think about it, there's another little filly going around called Achieve. Robert Wellwood and Roger James train. You re- where do you recognise that name from? Well, she ran a huge third in the weekend in the Sunline Bars. So she's right in the market for the Oaks. And so is the Perfect Pink. And now it's a Saverville Colt out of an O'Reilly mare. Saverville had a little bit of brilliance. I think this Colt's going to go bang. As Andy pointed out to me, though, it's hard for kind of those early lot numbers to be the sale toppers because people are a little bit cautious People are kind of waiting mm. a little bit, don't want to spend all their cash, but I reckon that's going to go huge. And now the next one for you, Izzy and Kempi, is Lot 161 Mawanga's full younger brother. Expect fireworks. Expect Baz to be on the phone throwing around that USD, that IPL, rupee. Uh, mm. This one's going to go huge. Um, the the Savabil Colt out of Chandelier. And I don't know, when you were playing with Dan Carter, Desi is, did he ever mention that he owned a racehorse to you? And, uh, yes, he did. I can't remember where. What, he did, what, what is it? Has he got one it's of these? The, it's the dam of Moonga and Moonga's full brother. So Chandelier, the mum here, oh, Dan, yes. apparently he won a, a Claybird shooting contest out at Waikato Stud. 
So Mark Shaddock threw him 10% of Chandelier, who started favourite in the Oaks. This 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 full brother in Mwanga, it's going to go huge, boys. This thing's going to go bang. Mm. Yeah, that's top. That's you, a top what, today. What are we thinking? That's a top, I reckon. reckon one six one. Yeah, mm. I reckon that that one there is going to be the the chart topper today. Is Moonga um, obviously the fantastic galloper running around? I I backed it last week. Oh, um, I think it didn't really didn't didn't run in the first two, but um, has, no, I think it did. It ran second. Kip. It ran second. Kip, it ran second. It? Yeah, and it's and it's got next start written all over it. More, like Moonga is it's become like one of Australia's top liners out of the Nisham stable. Um, it's probably worth pointing out as well. There are a few last there's a few last crops going through. So Tavistock, who just had the Derby winner, and I think has had pretty much every Derby winner in the last five years, Singapore, Hong Kong, Aussie, mm. um, um, Victorian. It, it goes real, obviously Tavistock to become a powerhouse. Burgundy and also Sacred Fools. So they will be very precious commodities when they come through the ring today, boys. And, um, and I have also heard a little birdie, and I don't know if this is an SENZ exclusive. I probably shouldn't be claiming it as, <laughs> but it sounds like Tiako, along with Mark, ba- uh, not Mark Baker, um, uh, along with their crew, are going to be back in New Zealand buying up large, but also thinking about heading across and setting up a stable in Australia over the next 12 months. So when if they're doing that, they're going to need some serious powerhouse, some serious fireworks. And we know what the New Zealand breads can do over in Australia. So when I said earlier, watch out for David Ellis to be throwing his, his uh, cash around in the ring and, you know, the titan of the sales ring. I didn't actually know that, but now I'm really on alert. I'm on DC watch today because I think he might be going big. Mm. Thank you, Louis. Nice little morning for you, mate, at the Caracas Sales. Appreciate all your insights and info. And Dave from Caracas, he agrees with you. He had uh, lot 110, 161, and 460. So there you go. He agrees with 161. I think it'll be, um, well, that's got to go probably as top, top sale. 460 is Canto and Omana, Brown Philly. at a little, little Avondale stud. So, look, we'll be interesting to see how it goes. We'll get a little update tomorrow. When you're back in the studio's, Holding down the fort with Kempi because Kempi's tired there in Auckland. Been a busy <laughs> old morning. Cut it out, mate. We <laughs> never get tired up here. I've had to, I've had to throw, I've had to throw a couple of left, left, lefts and right into the box next door to me. But a um, couple of black, <laughs> couple of black eyes. Those boys, will, they'll, a bit of ice tonight, boys. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, nah. oh, no. So, what, you, what else you got, Louis? Is that, is that your morning done? You're gonna stick around at sales and stay for the day, or are you gonna? Yeah, you know, go off and I'll be, we make no, cafe, go have a little flat white somewhere. No, no, no. I'll be hanging around. I'm going to crack, um, cross back into the morning show, and then I'm going to stay, <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to cross back into the innings break of the cricket as well. Because once this, and, and actually, I might even talk to Andrew Bensley across the ditch. Because once the selling starts, it obviously goes very, very hot. Um, and again, somebody's been listening, and I've just texted me lot ten. Oh, lot ten, boys. Fireworks across today, so I'll, I'll let everybody know what goes on with there. That first one, I'm excited. There you go, Louis Hill and Watt. He's at the Cracker Sales. He'll keep you updated throughout the morning. Thanks very much, brother. We'll see you on air. We'll hear from you on air tomorrow morning. Thanks very much, bud. Cheers. There we go, Louis Hill and Watt at the Cracker Sales. Ten, one six one fireworks. He reckons we'll get a wee update throughout the morning. We're going to come back shortly. You listen to Baz and Izzy for breakfast.